The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. 70% of people, when surveyed about religion in our culture, would suggest that religion is losing influence in our country. Other research has shown that, that when, they, when they survey the religious groups, which groups are growing and shrinking, the fastest growing religious group within our culture are those who are not affiliated with any religion. No, it's not to say that people aren't spiritual. That, that is absolutely not the case. In fact, many people are more spiritual now than ever before. But what we are seeing growing is an increasing number of people don't find themselves attached to any one particular belief. That maybe they'll pick and choose, or maybe that they actually might align themselves with one particular one. But the idea of the institution of religion, or the, just the concept of religion itself is seen as more of a negative thing than a good thing. It's more of a hindrance to their faith than a help. See, depending on who you ask, religion can be seen as both a good thing and a bad thing. For, for some, religion might conjure up images of the Crusades, of politics, judgment, and hypocrisy. But for others, religion is seen as something good. That it brings up to them, it brings up images of the creation of hospitals, progress in education the abolition of slavery. See, religion can be seen as both good and bad depending on who you ask. On one hand, you'll find people who see religion creating division. Or on the other hand, you might find somebody who sees religion as creating unity. On one hand, you see religion promoting devotion where somebody else might see it bringing about oppression. See, depending on who you ask, you, might, you will find both of those ways of thought. And so what I want to challenge us today is to think about religion, because religion in and of itself is, is essentially a neutral thing. It's not really good or bad. Where it becomes good or bad is when you talk about the type of religion. It becomes when you add the, the adjective to religion. Is it a legalistic religion? Is it a grace-based religion? What, what is it? See, in and of itself... It's neutral. But what's interesting, when we look, look in the Bible, when we open up scriptures and we look to the life of Jesus, and the people that Jesus interacts with, and the, the, the conversations Jesus has, who is it that Jesus is most critical of? See, it's not the outsiders to religion that Jesus is most critical of. It's not those who aren't followers of Jesus. It, see, Jesus is... In fact, with, with those who are outside the family, Jesus is almost reckless in the mercy and love he shows to them. But the religious people, it's a different story. Those who've read the book, those who've studied the scriptures, Jesus it acts totally different for them. In fact, Jesus is harshest with those who are the most religious. Those who are the most committed. Those who are the most devoted. Because Jesus noticed something about their religion. That their religion has gotten mixed up. And while they've gotten all the behaviors right, something inside of them is far from at what was meant to be at the heart of their faith. And so today we're beginning a new series called The End of Religion. And the idea with this series is to look at what is it about religion that Jesus wants to put an end to? What is it when it comes to the way that we often think about religion that Jesus says, that is not the kind of religion I've come to bring? 
See, religion can often be seen as something that's superstitious or legalistic or judgmental. But when Jesus comes and when we see Jesus' interaction with religious people, that's not what Jesus is, is about, is it? No, Jesus has come to put an end to that. Now, it certainly still exists. But what Jesus wants to make clear is that what he has come to do is far better than anything else. Whether it be a religion that that becomes all about the rules, a religion that picks and chooses what you want to believe, or a religion that says, says, we're going to do what we're going to do, and regardless, love of other people just doesn't matter. See, Jesus puts an end to all of those. If you could open your Bibles to the book of Colossians chapter 2. If you're using the Bibles in front of you, it's on page 1,834. Now, as we talk about this series, The End of Religion, Depending on the kind of background you come from, it might bring about a little bit of tension in you. And that's, and that's okay. Because that tension is going to help you wrestle with, all right, what is it that the Bible wants to tell us? What is it that God's word tells us about the, our, our beliefs? And so if you come from a background where religion is a good thing, or the, the, this idea that Jesus is putting an end to certain religious ways of thinking, might bring up a little bit of tension. And that's okay. Because what I want to challenge you is to look at Jesus. What I want to remind you is that your devotion is not to a set of traditions or to a building, but your devotion is to Jesus Christ. And so for you, as we talk about religion, that's fine if you're religious. But be, be reminded at what is at the center of your faith. It's a person. Jesus. And, and for others of you, the, the, this idea of the end of religion might... Might just, you might be just skeptical of the whole idea. Because for you, 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 you are uneasy about religion. That, that maybe you're a guest here, and, and, you're, and you're skeptical of this whole religious thing. And the last thing you, you're ready for is for a religious person to talk about the end of religion. And so, and so you're just, I, I'm not buying it. And so what I want to challenge you is to also look to Jesus. Because what I would suggest for many of you who who are uneasy with religion and maybe uneasy with Christianity, many of your problems with religion have nothing to do with Jesus. Many of your problems with Christianity are not problems with Jesus. And so I want to challenge us. Let's look at Jesus. What does Jesus teach us? Where does Jesus lead us? What does Jesus diagnose that's at the heart of our problem? How does Jesus fix the deepest problems in our life? The Apostle Paul in the book of Colossians is writing to a group of Jesus followers. And so he's writing to them because he wants to call attention to some of these same problems. Because what he's observing in them is that they have bought into some religious ways of thinking that are not what Paul taught them. That they have bought into some religious ideas that don't match up to what they've learned about Jesus. And so I'll begin in verse 20. He says, since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they're based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. See what Paul is saying? He's saying, are you Christians? When he says, you who have died with Christ, he's saying, anybody who's been united to Jesus, 
Those of you who are a part of the family, those of you who trust Jesus, those of you who have been baptized and in your baptism are are connected to the body of Christ, those of you who follow Jesus, he said, I don't get it. I, I don't get it about you because he says, I know the conversations we had. I know the things that we've talked about. And why are, are you, as people who have been set free, are you walking into something that's just going to enslave you? Why, why as people who, who have learned that your, your life is defined by the work of Christ, now why are you trying to define yourself by some arbitrary list of rules, do not taste, do not touch? And so Paul wants to, wants to point, point this out to them and say, guys, this isn't working, this isn't helpful. Like, we've been there before. Verse 23 can even be written another way. Um, Another translation, the ESV says it this way. It says, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion. See, what Paul wants to point out to them is is the problems of this self-made religion. The self-imposed worship, this false humility, right? It might look good. Like, it looks like they're doing the right things. It looks like they, they, they are devoted and rigorous and they care about their their religious life. But Paul wants to say, it's not working. It's not actually valuable. It's not actually helpful. It's not actually what you need. And it might appear wise, but it's not actually going to give you the things that you need the most. And so instead, he wants to call their attention to Jesus. To say what Jesus offers is different than what any other religion can offer. What Jesus does for you is not what your self-made religion can do for you. What Jesus does for you is not what your rule-based system is going to provide. Because Jesus does for us what self-made religion never can. And so what Paul writes to the church, he could write to us. Because again, we're not much different from them. I mean, we do, we do the same thing. We, we've heard about Jesus. We've been united to Jesus. We've been connected to the family of God. But so often what we'll do is, is we, we treat it as though it's not enough. No, no, no I, it, it's on me now. And so, no, I know, I know I've been adopted into the family, but now it's on me. It's, it's all about my effort and my work and my behavior. And so I'm good with moving on from the Jesus thing because now we need to get to what really matters. And so we'll focus all on the rules. And some of those rules are, are the rules we see in the scripture. Others of them are some arbitrary list of rules that we create. But what, we, what happens is we change the focus. We change the focus from Jesus to what we are doing. And so what we see is Paul is pointing out this self-made religion. It has the wrong focus. It looks at the rules. But not the rescuer. And so he points it out, self-made religion relies on self-made rules. But it is important that when he, when he lists out the rules, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. He says they're perished, they're destined to perish because they're based on human commands and teachings. It's, it's as though Paul's asking, why are you turning to a self-made religion when you have a God-given one? Why are you turning to something other than what you heard from God? What you heard about Jesus. See, Paul sees the self-made religion in the self-made rules and says, that's not, it's not going to work. See what self-made religion does? Self-made religion focuses entirely on the do's and don'ts, but it ignores the done. It says, do this. 
don't do this, try harder, be better. But it never, it never looks anywhere else. And so it might make us feel good, right? Because even in our hearts, we know, right? The scriptures will tell us the law is written in our hearts. And so we know that there's a right and a wrong way to live. We, we know this, we understand this. And so what often can happen is it can draw us in and say, we're just gonna focus on this because we know that we're not doing it. And so we just decide, All right, I'm gonna work harder. I'm gonna be better. But he, here's what happens with the self-made religion. It relies on the rules to do what the rules can't do for us. And so we focus on it, but what do we find out? We find out, we can't change the way we want to change. We can't fix the problem. It's as though we're trying to deal with the symptoms, but there's something deeper going on. See, what self-made religion does is it elevates behavior over being. See, what self-made religion does is it says, here is behavior and here is being. And when that happens, your behavior always defines your being. When we elevate behavior over being, what you do will define who you are. And, and, and here's the thing about this. You can get that anywhere. I, I, there is no part of our world that doesn't elevate behavior over our being, except the church. I mean, think about it. I mean, think about it. When you go to work, what, 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 is, what, what is the primary defining factor of how you are viewed in work? It's your performance. Right? Your, your behavior determines how you are seen. In school, your behavior, whether you're a good student or a bad student, whether you get into the right college and, and whether you can get the right degree and find the right career, right? it's all wrapped up in this same idea because all of our world wants to elevate behavior over being. That you have to look the right way, do the right things, have the right diet, have the right lifestyle, parent the right way. All of these things, what they do is they elevate behavior over being. Say, how you do in these areas defines who you are. And so whether we look to the self-made religion of culture, which wouldn't dare call itself, but re, wouldn't dare call itself religion, but seems awfully religious. Or whether we look to the self-made list of rules. Or whether we look at other religions. All of them, every single one elevates behavior over being. But if that's not working for you, if that's left you exhausted and burnt out and tired and frustrated, Jesus offers something better. Because what Jesus says is, is Jesus elevates being over behavior. And he says, although you might not do the right things, that doesn't change who you are. Instead, he says, here is who you are. And it is defined not by what you do, but what's been done for you. And this, and this, and Jesus understands, he understands something significant. He understands that when your being is elevated above your behavior, it will change the way you live. But when you try to change the way you live to change who you are, it won't work. This is why the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. Right? What Paul wants to point us out to is how the promise of Jesus works. The promise of the death and resurrection of Jesus is that he makes you new. He gives you a new identity. He doesn't give you some program and say, All right, so long as you change your lifestyle, then you might approach newness. Right? It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not like some diet system where as long as you put in the work, you'll, you'll, you'll have that beach bod. No, he's saying, I, I don't care what the behavior is, no matter your, how good you are or how bad you are, I'm giving you a new identity. And that might certainly change your behavior. But your identity is not based 
in what you do. The old is gone. The old gets put to death when Jesus dies on the cross. And, and the new life, the new life comes. Right? We are resurrected. We are raised from the dead when Jesus rises from the dead. And so Paul wants to say, no, this self-made religion, this rule-based system, that's not working for anybody. See, because here's what he knows. He knows that self-made religion creates the illusion of change, and it focuses on control. This is why Paul says there's an appearance of wisdom. It looks good on the outside. He knows these people are so devoted. They're so rigorous. They appear humble. But then what does he say? But it lacks any value in restraining. In other words, they made you think that they were so holy, but they're not. They made you think they had it all together, but they really didn't. But Jesus will even call these religious leaders at times whitewashed tombs. In other words, they're all clean and sparkly on the outside, but on the inside they're dying. And so the self-made religion tries to control because it, lo- it looks good if everybody's doing the right thing, doesn't it? And so when, when, when it's losing control, it just tightens down even more. And so, and he- but here's the problem with self-made religion when it, when it focuses on the rules this way. The solution to a self-made religion that focuses on rules, when you aren't keeping the rules, it just pushes harder. Because, because a rule-based religion, what it, what it believes is that if you're not doing what you should do, then we just need to tighten control. That we need to make you feel guiltier. That we need to make you feel worse. That we, that we just need to, to, to try harder, harder, and harder to ensure that these rules will, will force you to change. But it doesn't work, does it? And this temptation is everywhere. You can see this in rule-based religions outside of the church, but you can even find it within Christianity where there's this temptation to focus on the rules. But here's what we know about the rules. The rules never change you. The law never produces the change that it demands. And so what Jesus does, Jesus knows that. And so Jesus does what the law can't and what the law was never meant to do. Jesus does what self-made religion can't because when it focuses on the rules, it tries to control you. But the best that will do will get, will get a begrudging submission that you might go along with it for a moment, but your heart is still far from God. And so the Pharisees, we see this, right? They're doing all the right things. People look at them and say they're flawless, they're perfect, they've got it. But when Jesus calls them out, he says, no, you don't. Because you're doing all the right things, but you resent God your Father. See, fear will change you in the moment. But it's only love that produces lasting change. See, a rules-based system might be able to change you temporarily. It might be able to correct your behavior. Right? We might go to school and, and, and the authority of, of the rules and knowing the consequences or the rewards for good behavior, it might change us for that moment. The system of rewards and consequences in our job, it might change the way we do those things in that moment. But when we apply that into our relationship with God, when we say, do this or else, it might get you to go along with it, but it's not, it's not creating a heart that loves God. It's not producing a love with our heart, our soul, our mind, with all our strength. 
No, it's getting temporary obedience, but not a heartfelt, joy-filled obedience. And if you're a parent, you get this. Because you know what you want for your kids. I mean, when you have in your relationship with your kids, I mean, I mean, think about it. Is what you want for your kids, them to go along and obey every single rule that you have, yet at the end of the day resent you and want nothing to do with you? I mean, they did all the right things, right? They had good morals, but, that, but they have no relationship. That's not what you want. No, what we want as parents with our kids is for them to have a relationship with us. That even when they do fail, we want to be the first people they run to. And we want them, because of that relationship, for them to trust us. So that now, next time we tell them, here's what we think you should do, that they say, no, my parent loves me and they want what's best for me. Where it creates a different kind of obedience, doesn't it? One's an obedience based out of fear that, that pushes away from relationship. The other one faces the reality that there will be disobedience, but love produces an obedience that trust that my parent, that the father wants what's best for me. But self-made religion doesn't do that. Self-made religion just looks to control. Self-made religion treats the symptoms of the problem but ignores the heart. Self-made religion thinks, all right, if, if I, only I can hide the issue, then we'll be good. But see, the problem is that the condition of your heart will always affect the way you live your life. That no matter how good you get at treating the symptoms, eventually the problem of your heart will come out. Eventually it comes to the surface. And so you might be good in the moment of, of avoiding the consequences, avoiding the pain by, by, by not saying the things you want to say. You might be good at keeping it in, but eventually the heart condition comes out. This is why Jesus is, is so critical of the Pharisees when he says, you wash the outside of the cup, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. Right? He says, you, you've gotten really good at hiding the symptoms of your greed, but I know it's still there. You haven't dealt with what's inside. And you, and you know this, right? Haven't you had those moments where you said something to somebody you cared about only to later be, be thinking to yourself, man, where did that come from? Moments where, where somebody you loved, maybe a family member, and you blew up at them. And, you, and you're just wondering, man, I don't know why I did that. Like, what got into me? We've all experienced that because we all suffer from the same problem. We all have a heart broken by sin. And so here's what I want to challenge you. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, whether you're into religion or not a fan, I want to challenge you, look to Jesus. Because how does Jesus diagnose the problem? And how does Jesus solve the problem? See, Jesus tells us that out of the heart comes evil thoughts, adultery, and murder. That all of these, he essentially says, are the symptoms of a heart problem. 
And so when you and I have those moments where we're thinking, I can't believe I said that, what we're experiencing is the symptom of the heart problem. Cardiologists have this way of finding heart problems. That they, they'll take an x-ray, and after injecting some dye into the bloodstream, it becomes extremely clear to them where the problem is. See, what's so interesting about this, though, is that just by some simple dye in, in, injected into the bloodstream, when the cardiologists look at, this, at the x-ray, it, it is painfully obvious where the problem is. In fact, in fact, some say even an untrained eye could find the problem once the dye is injected into the bloodstream. It's that clear. See, what self-made religion does is it tries to treat the problem but ignores what the dye has revealed. It treats the symptoms and ignores what's going on inside of us. And so when the dye reveals the problem, the doctors can put in a stent. They can open up the arteries. They can create the blood flow. Now that the doctor knows the problem, he can give the solution to that problem. But if we don't know the solution and we only treat the symptoms, the problem is just going to keep coming back. See, what Jesus wants to expose to us is that when his word does its work, it is injected into us and it makes the problems painfully clear. It exposes that there's a blockage. It exposes that our hearts, the rhythm of our hearts have been disrupted by sin. And it's not going to be fixed by a simple lifestyle change. You can't take some medicine. You can't just start some exercise routine. No, the problem is so much bigger than that. That's why Mark chapter 2 says it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Because you and I, when the word of God does its work on us, it exposes that we're sick. That we're sinners. That we need the work of the great physician. And so the good news is the problem is clear. Or the, the good news is, is it, it is quite obvious that when we look that there is a problem inside our heart. But the bad news is we can't fix it. Or the bad news is I can't fix it. You can't fix it. You can't just change your lifestyle and it disappears. The problem is none of us can fix it. But, but here's the incredible thing about Jesus. He came to save not the righteous but the sinners. He came not for the healthy but for the sick. See, you need a heart transplant. And Jesus came to do what no one else could do for you. Jesus came to give you a new heart when no one else could give you a new heart. Jesus came to make you a new creation when self-made religion wanted to hide the symptoms and the problem. Jesus went straight for the heart. He said, I will create a new heart, a pure heart. A heart not plagued by sin, but a heart made new because of the blood of Jesus. See, no rule-based religion can do that. A rule-based religion might temporarily control you. It might induce fear and resentment. But at the end of the day, it's a rule-based, graceless, exhausting system that leaves us nowhere. That we treat the symptoms and ignore the heart. But Jesus, Jesus puts an end to that religion by giving us something that 
that nothing else can by giving us a new heart. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the incredible gift that you give to us, that you give us a new heart. That when we are exposed to the sin, that you see the problem. And you don't prescribe some remedy that's not going to fix the actual problem. You don't, you don't just give us a list of steps that says, here's, here's what might help. No, you, you instead, you go in and you give us a new heart. And so, God, we ask you to just give us new hearts, to rescue us, to forgive us. where our hearts have led us to do things that we regret, things that we're ashamed of, where they have hurt relationships and people we care about. We ask that you make us new, that we would cling to you, to your death and your resurrection. And that as you expose us to the problem, you also rescue us. So Jesus, make our hearts new. Make our hearts new.